Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast today is sponsored by Moises Shami. Dedication is in, in appreciation of the Kitab and the dedicated teacher, Mr. Azul Zolta, who is working hard to keep our rich tradition and heritage alive. In between the moments of speaking, you'll be able to hear his melodious voice wafting through the doors as he teaches, uh, reading the Megillah, reading of uh, Haftarah. Uh, he's doing a special job. Hazaku Baruch. Um, breakfast in the class is also dedicated to loving memory of Maurice Levy and Audrey Levy. Alehem Shalom. Lilunish Matem. Moshe Ben Sefia and Hanabat Rachel. Alehem Shalom. Sponsored by Ike Levy and family. Uh, breakfast in the class is also dedicated to loving memory of Samira Aini. Alehem Shalom. Lilunish Mat Samira Bat Rachel. Sponsored by Jacob Aini and family. Hazaku Baruch. Tenish Matat Surah Surah Haim. Breakfast is also dedicated to loving memory of Sam Yisayed, Lava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Shalom, Ben Rivka, sponsored by Abraham Nahmayas, Hazaku Baruch. Yesterday also we had a, uh, a sponsorship from uh, a special young woman, whose name is Elisheva Rosenfeld, um, who does a tremendous job not only of listening and getting involved in all the classes, but also in forwarding them on to uh, many other people and, uh, and getting lots and lots of people involved in Torah and Maasim Tovim. Sometimes you have a rabbi who has uh, great uh, pieces of Torah and wisdom inside of him, but he has no method of getting it to other people. So sometimes those connectors, the people that bring people to Shiurim, that forward Shiurim, you know, you just think, oh, I forwarded it to someone. But you're not realizing that in some way you've become now a part of the chain of Misorah from, from Sinai. Now it used to be, in order to spread Torah, you had to learn Torah. Now, you just have to have a very versatile thumbs. You know, you just, uh, you hear a class, you forward it on. Hazaku Baruch, Elisheva Rosenfeld, there's a chut should be a beracha in your life. Okay, Rabotai, I want to share one simple concept, which I think is, um, is a very interesting idea in and of itself. You know, there's a famous machloket uh, describing the Gemara where they asked of many different people, to define the Torah or to uh, distill the Torah into one small or one short cogent thought. Obviously, that's a very difficult task. You know, the Torah has many different mitzvot, 613 mitzvot. How are you going to describe all the Torah in one, in one idea? One famous uh, concept that we're all familiar with is where he says straight away from the get-go, that's the rule in the Torah, loving your neighbor like yourself. Of course, everyone asks the obvious questions. Ve'ahafta, like the Chinuch writes, at the core of the mitzvah of not stealing something from your friend is the fact that you love him and you don't want to hurt him. At the core of the fact that you're not jealous of his successes is the fact that you're happy for him. So if you love your friend like yourself, all these mitzvot between man and your fellow man would you be able to not pay someone on time? Of course not. Would you be able to damage them? Of course not. Would you be able to uh, lie to them or give them faulty advice? Of course not. Because you love them. So the Chinuch writes that the mitzvah lies at the core of all of the mitzvot. And as the, uh, the Gemara expresses itself, it says, this is klal gadol Torah. Uh, is the general rule in the Torah. Everything else a person actually could learn from there. Like Hillel said, Idach Pirusha, everything else is explanation. Zil Gemor, go out and learn, go out and study, and you'll be able to learn all the rest of it. However, uh, the Mifashim ask a very powerful question, and that is, 
I understand that at the root of mitzvot between man and fellow man lies the way you think about that fellow man. But how does that mitzvah uh, encapsulate or describe the mitzvot that are between you and God? Like I know a lot of people who are, you know, super uh, into humanity and helping people and saving the whales and all sorts of beautiful things. But they never prayed in their life. They don't believe in God or they're not interested in mitzvot of a religious or in their words dogmatic uh, nature. So how does that mitzvah underpin the mitzvot ben adam lemakom? And one has to deal with that question and there are answers for that question. I believe we've actually shared an answer to that question. If you want to find the source for it, perhaps you should look in the words of Ramban, uh, when Nachmanides talks about the mitzvah of loving your neighbor like yourself, I think he gives a clue there as to how it could possibly be the source of all of the mitzvot in the Torah. However, the Gemara says, Chavakuk came along. Chavakuk was a, uh, was a Navi, right? And I mean, I'm a weird person, but I can never imagine. <laughs> I can never imagine. Whenever I hear the word, Chavakuk, all I imagine is some guy saying in a heavy, thick Middle Eastern accent, he's talking about the fact that in his program or on his, in his hotel he has a cook. I don't know, I can't ever say the word without hearing a guy say, ah, Chavakuk, you know, either way. But the point is, Rabotai, Chavakuk, be that as it may in my insane brain, um, Chavakuk is uh, one of the Nevi'im. And the Gemara says, Ba Chavakuk, he stood all of the Torah on one principle. And what is that principle? Tzadik be'emunato yechyeh. A tzadik lives by his faith, with his faith, in his faith. The word, the, that prefix bet in the beginning of the word could mean all of those permutations. How does a tzadik live? Be'emunato, with his faith. Or he lives in his faith. Now, I want to talk about these two concepts. In his faith and with his faith. Okay, let's one more time. So, in modern Hebrew, by the way, you would use it the same way. You know, you would use that concept, the word bet, right? You'd use it the same way. Right, a person is going bimonit in a taxi. How are you going to get there? Bimonit, you can get there in a taxi, right? How are you going to pay for it? Bevisa, with my credit card. You're not paying in your credit card. You're paying with your credit card, okay? So that prefix means both of them. And it's interesting to note this idea because I think that Chavakuk has some great evidence supporting his claim. What, what would support the claim of Chavakuk that the, the, the cornerstone of Jewish life is faith in God? You ask people, what's Judaism? Some people will say, Tzedakah, faith. Some people will say, Tikkun olam. Some people will say, what's uh, uh, Judaism? Culture, food, chicken soup. Right? You have a lot of people defining Jewish culture. But Chavakuk tells us that the source of all mitzvot, of all of Judaism, is a Sadiq living in his faith or with his faith. What's the proof to Chavakuk? The very first one of the Aseret Dibrot, the first time that God spoke to the world, again, let's pull the camera out for a second. Don't think about God speaking to Abraham, or God speaking to Noah, or God speaking to Adam. Don't think about the individuals God communicated with. 
because that was an individual communication, even if that communication was then supposed to be forwarded to everybody else, okay? It was supposed to be shared with humanity. When did God speak to the world at large? That was the Aseret that they brought. That's the first time. So what were God's first words to humanity? Anochi Hashem Elokecha. It kind of is a little bit more symmetrical, if you will, that the source and the root of all religious practice, whether it's between you and God, between you and, and your fellow man, between you and yourself, that at the root of that is the very first thing that God said. It's kind of like, well, what's the, what comes first? Well, what did God say comes first? So I want to talk about what this means, living in faith and with faith, and how faith in God animates all of our mitzvot. So the obvious mitzvot, like as an example, how does faith animate prayer? You're only going to pray to God if you believe in Him. Right? Obviously. Now, that's not necessarily true. You have a lot of people who throw up Hail Marys. Right? They don't talk to God. They're not involved with God. Now they're going bankrupt. They're like, God, if you're out there, like in the statement itself, you're saying to us how you're not sure. But true prayer, true prayer is a development of a relationship with God. Even if it's one where you're asking and acknowledging how weak you are without Him, you're asking, you're relying on God. That's a tzaddik living. Prayer is about faith. Honesty in business. Even if you're not going to get caught, that's about knowing that something is either right or wrong, and God knows even if no one else knows, including uh, the police, okay? This idea, so between man and man, and between man and God, the root of that is emunah. But I want to share with you a story. There was once a man, a very famous man, who set um, uh, out on a mission to change the Jewish world, and his name was Rev Yisrael Salanter. And how did he change the Jewish world? Do you guys know? Sorry? No, he was from Ashkenaz, so probably spices was not what he brought to the table. <laughs> Yisrael Salanter began what was called the Musar movement. What does that mean, Musar? Musar means the development of self. So lots of people saw the Torah up until that point for thousands of years, they saw the Torah as a bunch of different mitzvot that you had to do, things that you had to do. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta said, we've been getting this wrong all along. And if you looked carefully in the Torah, you'd notice it. The Torah is right, really not about mitzvot. The Torah is really about midot. It's about character traits. And by the way, what's really interesting to me is you look at these ideas that you see in Judaism and you studied in yeshiva, and then as time goes on, you become a rabbi, you need to learn more, you're exposed to more different ideas. You start to realize that these groundbreaking ideas that they had in secular society were things that you learned when you were like 12 in yeshiva. It's really interesting. So one of the most famous writers about the development of being an efficient human being is a man called Stephen Covey. Covey wrote the seven principles uh, you know, of, uh, of effective, of a person being highly effective people. It's a great book, by the way, worth reading, okay? Stephen Covey, The Seven Principles of, uh, of, of Highly Efficient People, all right? Um, I'm probably getting the name not exactly right, but either way, okay? Now, the amazing thing to me is I'm reading this book, 
And he makes a point, and his point goes as follows. He says, lots of people are obsessed, right, in business. What are they trying to do with their business? They're trying to achieve certain aims with their workers. So they want to get their workers to work harder. So they try and figure out how to push the workers to a point where they're producing more and more and more. And unfortunately, what they're not realizing is that they keep pushing the golden goose to lay more and more eggs. Eventually, the, egg, the goose gets exhausted and stops producing completely. So you pushed production way up for a month. And then what happens? All your workers crash, fire, leave, whatever, okay? The real, the best way to get productivity out of your workers is not to push them in the short term to give you external or to give you uh, um, a, some sort of a non-sustainable growth. The best way to work with your workers is actually the opposite, is to put in situations where they are at their best, they are at their most productive, so that they're providing that over the long term, okay? And he talks about this idea of being, of figuring out how to be. Now, I need you to understand this, because that is really at the core of what Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was suggesting to the world. He said to them, when the mitzvah teaches you about this kind of tzedakah, and that kind of tzedakah, and this kind of lending the money, and, not, and giving someone money during, before Shemitah, and leaving the portion in the corner of your field, and if you drop bits at the, at the field, shikha, you have to leave it there, and pe'ah, and, uh, and, uh, pe and leket, and all these different things. All the million different things the Torah commands you to do. That have to do with your fellow, fellow man. The Torah wasn't really commanding you in all these different things. The Torah was giving you a hundred exercises to work out a specific muscle within the human being. So if you go to the gym, there's 25 machines, all that will work on your biceps. They're not, they're different exercises, but they focus and they target the same muscle to create a healthy, strong, resilient muscle in that area. All of those mitzvot were designed to do one thing, to make you a compassionate being. Says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, somehow, a lot of times, people get caught up in the mitzvah, but actually, they rob themselves of the point of the mitzvah because they did the action without... Could you imagine a guy who goes to the gym? And this is the perfect example. A guy goes to the gym. He sees a machine there. The machine works on preacher curls. What's preacher curls? When you lean over the bench, your arms are stuck in a in a pre-locked close position and you're pulling in from, so it's a specific movement on the outer part of the bicep, okay? You're doing preacher curls like this, fantastic. I want you to imagine a very rich guy, very wealthy, billionaire. You know, he, uh, he's very busy at work, always on the phone. He decides, you know, I need to get into shape. He goes to the gym and uh, he's on the machine and the trainer says, Give me 25. And he gets down, and he does one, and he does two, and his phone rings. So he answers the phone. And the trainer's like, hey, 25, not two. The guy says, this is very important. Hold on. The guy said, 25. So he goes, <laughs> the rich guy goes, Jordan. His bodyguard standing by the door of the gym comes over. He goes, I did two. Do the other 23. The guy, is he happy now? Right? He takes the phone call. Guy's a moron. You're coming to the gym to get in shape. Does it help to have Jordan do the curls for you? Of course not. 
Sometimes a person is doing the exercise, but not reaping the benefit. That sort of Yisrael Salanter, that was his groundbreaking understanding. This religion is designed to change the inner workings and the midot, the nature of a person, to be more compassionate, to be more forgiving, to be more understanding. There was a man uh, on the train that Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was riding. He was a young uh, learning guy, Avrech, and he's sitting in the train carriage that's the smoking section. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, lots of people, almost everybody smoked back then. They actually thought it was a healthy thing. It helped with digestion. They did not yet know that these were indeed called cancer sticks, right? But Rabbi Yisrael Salanta goes into the smoking section of the train and um, he sits down, the train leaves, and this other fellow is sitting next to him, uh, unaware that he's sitting next to one of the great rabbis of the generation. Anyway, the train starts leaving. They're in the smoking carriage. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta takes out a, a, a lighter or a match or whatever, and he lights a cigarette. The guy looks at him, not knowing who the rabbi is, and he says, what is wrong with you? You think you're going to fill this whole carriage with this despicable smell? It's getting in everybody's face. I can't breathe in here. What kind of thing? Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. But I think people like us, what's our response? You ever go into a carriage? There's a quiet carriage. You're not supposed to talk in there, right? On the train. Then there's the train, which is the non-quiet train. You ever make a phone call in the non-quiet train and someone says, excuse me, excuse me, I'm trying to sleep here. Excuse me! What kind of thing is this to talk? And I'm like, there's a quiet train right, right over there. That's that car. This car is the non-quiet train. This is actually meant for speaking, this train. This would be the worst place to try and get a nap. And you're just going to be aggravated because everyone's going to keep talking. So I would suggest, if you'd like, I can help you move your bags. You know, or I can throw them out the window, <laughs> right? Right? What are you doing? You're sitting in the smoking chair, in the smoking cart. Anyway, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta does not respond to that because he's a person that is concerned with and works on his inner character traits. He doesn't want to get angry. So he says, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry to have bothered you. I'm going to put out the cigarette. He puts out the cigarette in the smoking car. Because other guys bothered by, by smoke. Okay? My friend tells me, one of my dear friends from, from Israel, Josh Steele, always used to tell the story about the time when he went to the JCC and he's swimming in the JCC's pool. And as he's swimming in the pool, right? He's swimming in the pool. The guy in the lane next to him grabs his leg while he's swimming. So you know when you grab, someone grabs, you're like, you know, he comes up, you know, from the, you know, swimming and he looks and it's this old guy and he has this look on him. He's like, what are you doing? The, the guy, so my friend says, what, what do you mean? He goes, he goes you, I'm sitting here in the pool. He goes, you're splashing. <laughs> He's swimming in a swimming pool. And the guy, this elderly Jewish guy, in the only, it was, and only an elderly, elderly Jewish man could, you know, you, he, so Josh said to him, you know, I'm so sorry for having, you know, gotten you wet whilst you were in a swimming pool. I apologize deeply for the, you know, the trauma I have caused, okay? So that's how we would respond. You're passive-aggressive, right? So that's what I would have done. Rabbi Sorol Salanta puts out the cigarette. Anyway, so the man says, 
well, thank you very much for putting out the cigarette. It doesn't help. He's already smoking the car. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta quietly stands up, opens the window. He goes, what, now we all have to freeze? <laughs> we all have to freeze because, because you wanted to say, you can't win! So the rabbi goes and he closes. He goes, okay, now it's closed. Now we're all, <laughs> whatever he does, he can't, the guy's harassing him, haranguing him, the whole journey. They pull up in the station, in the town, in the town Rabbi Yisrael Salanta uh, was living in. As this young uh, yeshiva student gets off with the rabbi, after, like, you can't move on the, on the platform. It's packed with people. So the guy turns to someone next to him and he says, what's going on here? Why is it so full? I've never seen the train station this full. Um, the guy says, well, what do you mean? They, everyone's here to visit, to greet the rabbi. So he says, which rabbi? So he points. The guy right there. The fellow almost has a heart attack. Who's he been needling the whole time? Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. Devastated. They're singing, they're clapping, they're picking the rabbi up on the chair. <laughs> and this guy is losing his mind. That night, there's a knock at the rabbi's door. Who's there without his shoes on, on his knees, crying? This young man. I'm so sorry, I had no idea that you were the rabbi. Indeed, I should not have even spoken that way to anybody, but to speak to such a distinguished person such as yourself, please, I beg you of forgiveness. I can't, I don't, I can't speak you know, loudly or, or as long enough to be able to tell you how humiliated I am. Anyway, he goes on and on and on. Rabbi Salanta tells the guy, he stands him up, calm down, it's fine. You asked me to put out the cigarette, put out the cigarette. You told me you couldn't breathe. I opened the window. Like, you know, I, it's not a big deal. I was just trying to, to make you happy. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not that bothered. And the guy stands up. And here's where the story gets interesting. And he, don't, he doesn't leave. He's just sitting there looking at his feet. Like this. Rabbi Sosai says, can I, can I help you? Is everything okay? <laughs> he says... That, so close. He says, I'm, he says I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. He said, but the reason why I came to the city from where I live is because I actually needed to get a letter um, from the Bed Dean, from the rabbi, from you. I, I don't have a job where I live. And I studied to be a shochet, to be someone that does uh, the shechita. And I have a job lined up to be able to pay for my young family. Um, but I need, they told me I could only have the job on condition that I get a letter saying that, that I know the halachot, that I'm a, an approved shochet from the rabbi and his bed dean. <laughs> oh, on my best day, I'm slamming that door, right? The rabbi says, the rabbi says, no problem. Come on in. Let me set up the interview with the bed dean. He calls his son-in-law. You know, he tells him to go to the place. Take this gentleman. He needs to get tested on the halachot of shechita. You know, and you know, for his family, blah, blah, blah. And he, he says, I'm going to write him a letter. He, he travels to the thing. He presents the guy. The guy goes to take the test. Next day, the guy comes back. Uh, the, the son-in-law comes back to the house of the rabbi. 
The rabbi says, tell me, what happened last night with the guy with the test? He says they tested him. He failed. He didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't know the halacha well enough. He said, is there a rabbi in the Beit Din that teaches Hilchot Shechita? So the son-in-law says, there is, yeah, sure. He says, can you please call him here and call the young man. He calls the young man back. The young man says, Young man, he says to the young man, I understand that you didn't, you didn't pass the test. He says, I've found you a, a, a young man who teaches. I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay him and he's going to teach you private one-on-one -on -one lessons. I see that you don't have the money. You came all the way here to get this job. One-on-one -on -one lessons until you're able to pass the test. The guy starts learning with him. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta himself is testing the guy, studying with him to help him pass the test. He finally finishes the test, he goes, he passes the test, and he says to the rabbi, thank you so much. He goes, but by now, so much time has passed that I had to study all this material. I've been here for a long time, already a few weeks, a few months, however long it was. He goes, I'm sure that that first job is already, is already taken. They probably got somebody else. And the rabbi said, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta says to him, he goes, he goes, don't worry about it. I've taken care of it. He goes, what do you mean you took care of it? He goes, anyway, that job was a small city. They didn't have so many animals that needed shechita. I reached out to the person in a big city nearby. I've told them that I have an excellent candidate for the shechita. I've met, messaged them and, they, and what's it called? And, and they got, and I said to them, so long as he passes, are you willing to take them? And they've promised me, I have the job for you. It's ready. All you need to do is travel to that city. The guy says, wow, I can't believe it. He's embarrassed. He's he says to her, he goes, I'm so, I'm so thankful. He goes, I guess I have to go speak to my family. He says, don't worry. I've already sent someone to your family to tell them about the new opportunity and to get them ready. I figured that, you know, by the time you'd learn, they'd need time to, this, to get used to the idea. I figured I'd tell them before and that we'd make sure to pass you over here. They're all ready. They're so happy. They're very excited to move. All you need to do, you can even go straight to the town. They'll meet you there. The guy says, thank you so much. He goes, but that's a very far journey. Yisrael Salanta says, I know, I understood you probably would say that. Here's the ticket that I paid for you in the, what's it called, in the train. And, I'm, and the guy looks down at the ticket, it says smoking section. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, whenever I learn these things, I always think about it through my own brain. Because that's what I would have done. I would have done everything in the last minute. Whoppa! <laughs> Okay, right? It's not, I'm joking. The guy gets in the train, he travels off into the, into the sunset to his new job with his family, with his new career, everything done. As soon as he leaves, the son-in-law comes up to Yisrael Salanter and he says, he says, Dad, father-in-law, he says, you know, I'm in charge of collecting funds uh, for tzedakah for, for people in the city, in, nearby, in, in the environs. He says, I've never asked you because you're a rabbi. I didn't assume that you had extra money to give to people. He says, but I saw in the, in the unfolding of this story that you had money to pay for the guy for private lessons. You had this and that and all these different things. You bought him the ticket. All of these things, none of them are cheap. And I realized that it must be that you have more money than I thought you had. Would you like to participate in helping the poor people in the, in the area that I, that I support? And the rabbi says to him, he goes, he goes, I don't have extra money. Listen to this, my friends. 
He says, well, what you, you spent all this money just now on this guy I saw. And the rabbi said, I have a deal with the city. They pay for my needs, for what I need in order to live. I have a set amount of money. It's not a lot. But that amount of money is what I have to be able to live for all my and my family's needs. He says, I got on this train. The guy insulted me. I was insulted. But he came to my house on his knees, asking for forgiveness. Now he's asked for forgiveness, and I've forgiven him. I have to move on. My heart needs to be clear. Don't hate your brother in your heart. He says, I looked at myself, and I knew that maybe I forgave him, but I didn't like him. I didn't get to after I'm not inviting the guy over for coffee, you know, for tea and scones, okay? I'm not, you know, bratwurst, whatever the heck they had then, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And when I realized that that was the case, I said to myself, the only possible way I could force myself, push myself to love this person is by giving to him. And the money that I have is there to take care of my needs. And one of my needs is to be a good person. So I'm going to have to scrimp and save to be able to make do on my salary now for the next however long. But this was something I needed to do so that when I finally got him the job and told his family and got him the ticket to be able to go there, I was rooting for him. I was excited for him because I'd given him so much. And those deeds, the act of giving itself, transforms a person's relationship. Judaism teaches us that the nature of love is such that when you struggle to love someone, the way you reignite or recapture that is by giving to that person. And the root of the word ahava is have, which means to give. Rabotai, if you're not a person that lives not just with emunah, but you live in emunah, you can't live your life that way. Living with emunah means that I have faith. Living in emunah means that my world, the world that I am in, when we say that someone doesn't have an accurate grip on his reality, what do we call that person? We say he's living in denial. What does it mean in denial? Doesn't mean, uh, uh, it doesn't mean that the person is, is in a specific place. It means that the worldview that he has this guy thinks that he deserves $150,000 salary. Rohi, you have no experience. That's a guy who's living in denial. He wants what he wants. He knows that's what he wants to make, but he's living in denial that that's his value to the company. This guy, he feels hard done by because you didn't give him what he wanted. That's when you live in a mindset, okay? That's what it means over here to live, as we say, tzadik be'emunato yechyeh. When you live within a realm, a, uh, a, a, a system of faith, then you're not worried or upset when you go the extra mile for someone. You're not trying to, you know, make, pull a fast one over somebody. In a world of faith, you don't need to be dishonest because that's not what will get you what you need. So it's not so much about not being dishonest because I have faith that I'm gonna get punished or rewarded. It's not about that. It's that in the world of faith, I can see that that's not what I need to do. It loses its allure. So that's what Chavakuk was teaching us. And I must say that I think that the entirety of the story of the Megillah is really encouraging us to move from our world to another world.
You know, today you have lots of different people, entrepreneurs, that are spending billions of dollars. And what are they doing? They're trying to find new worlds for us to be able to have it, to, uh, to go to, you know, to habituate and to go to move to. Mars, other planets, so Blue Origin and, uh, and uh, SpaceX and all these programs are trying to find new worlds. And I think that there's a world here which we have not yet begun to explore. To move to a world of faith. And in that world, you're not jealous of someone. Because if that person has it, they're supposed to have it. And I have what I'm supposed to have. Rabbi Galinsky says it so, so beautifully, and we'll end with this. He says, the Pasuk says, Lo tachmod, you should not be jealous. You should not be jealous of your friends, right? His house. Don't be jealous of your friends, chamor, of his, uh, of his donkey. Don't be jealous of your friend's wife. Right? Don't be jealous of your... Don't be jealous of all these things. And then at the end of it, it says, Right? Don't be jealous of his horse and his wife and his donkey and his vineyard and his... So you told me all these things and then you say, and everything that belongs to him. If you're going to say everything that belongs to him, you don't have to say all the details. Listen to what he answers. He says that is the root of jealousy. A lot of people say, I want his wife. I want his house. I want his, but they don't realize. When he got his wife, it was a package deal. He also got that child that was difficult. He also got this business, which is a, you know, in arrears. When you look at that person's package, you want to selectively pull out this bit and this bit. That's not how it works. You either get the whole package or you don't. Now, in that package, actually, is a lot of other things that you are not aware about at all. And if you were aware about it, you would realize that your package is actually much better for you. So says the Pasuk, don't be jealous of this and this and this. You know, we think that, that, that we can selectively pull out all these things, but when a person lives in a world of faith, then their eyes see the world in, that, in those terms. If that's for him, that's for him. What does that have to do with me? It's not that I'm jealous, I shouldn't be, let me work on being jealous. No, I should look at the world and work on my emunah to the point that I live in a different world and when I see you and what you have, it doesn't have any allure for me. That's, you know, it's almost like me not feeling I need to service my sickness when I look at your sickness. If you're having a cold, I don't take Tylenol. So I understand that there's a separation between what you have and what I have, and I'm not necessarily worried about that. That is what it means to live in the world of faith. Bezat Hashem, we should be zocher to increase our emunah exponentially. Baruch Adonai Amen ve